go to the Under the Hood podcast. You can download the podcast on Spotify, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you download your podcast. Look for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. We got a special interview I just did today with George Wilborn. George Wilborn is a Chicago-based comedian who's been on the radio for years. Did shows on B103 and worked with the Michael Bazin Show. George is going to be in town at the Chicago Improv uh, this weekend. Great conversation with him about growing up in Chicago. Check it out. It's the, the newest thing on the Underhood Podcast. Let's look for it. Download it. Subscribe. Rate and review. You hear it for yourself. It's live right now. My conversation with George Wilborn on the Underhood Podcast. Glad to have you in with me here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app as we broadcast live from our first Midwest Bank Studios. We will hear from Dave Lato, the head coach for the DePaul Blue Demons, coming up in five minutes here on ESPN 1000. We'll get his thoughts about the NBA draft. Also, we'll talk some White Sox. We'll talk about the Chicago White Sox. The Sox are in the wild card hunt. How about that? The Chicago White Sox. How about that? Yes, the White Sox. We'll talk some Sox with Scott Greger from the Daily Herald coming up at 935 right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. So... During the month of June, there's always a lot of anniversaries in sports, right? Especially when it comes to Chicago sports because, you know, the Chicago Bulls were once really, really good. Chicago Bulls have won their first ever NBA championship. The Bulls greeted by a portion of this forum crowd as they try to get back to their locker room. For the Lakers, a different story. The Chicago Bulls domination of this series has to be considered a major surprise. Mike, there was no reason to believe that the Lakers would fall apart so dramatically. I know they can't see me. Maybe they can see the top of your head. (laughs) What does it mean to you, Phil? Well, Bob, if I could have a moment here behind Stacey (laughs) Gate. I was right here about 18 years ago when we won the championship. And it's a very meaningful... Were you surprised by the effort of the Lakers with their backs to the wall? Oh, no, not at all. We knew they were going to come out and give a very uh, uh, good effort, but I feel that our defense uh, came to play. I'm going to try and go down into the crowd and get to Michael Jordan. Guys, excuse me. Let me get through here. Michael Jordan is the unanimous MVP. He got all 11 votes. Here we are with Michael. Surrounded by his mom and his dad and wife, <laughs> but I'm covered with champagne and can hardly see. What does it mean to you? It means so much. I mean, not just for me, but for the team and for the whole city. It's been a seven-year struggle out here. When I first got into Chicago, we started at the bottom. And every year, we just worked harder and harder until we got to it. And, you know, it's, it's so gratifying. You know, I'm appreciated so long in my life you know, for my family, for my kids, everything. It's the most proud day I've ever had. Michael Jordan. Right there on NBC. And Stacey King finding his way in there as well when the Bulls won their first championship. It's the anniversary of it here today. The game was heard right here on ESPN 1000. It was called AM 1000 at the time. And I think about that time. And the reason why I want to play that for you is because I want to fast forward to 2019. Could you imagine the Bulls and their run? And millennials, hear me when I tell you this, Okay. The Bulls did not, even with Jordan in the early days, you weren't even sure 
if the Bulls can even get to what we just heard there in that moment in 1991. Millennials, when I tell you that when Jordan came, it was kind of like the, the sea opening up. It's like the, the, like there was bright skies because as a kid, young kid watching Bulls basketball and watching players like Orlando Woolridge and Reggie Theus and some of these others, they were good, but you could tell that there was never going to be championship material. Same thing that's happening today is, is it happened back then. The league was based on the Lakers and the Celtics. The, the whole league based on the Lakers and Celtics and their success because the championships kept going back and forth and back and forth. And so Jordan comes along and Jordan's a good player. Jordan was shooting a lot. And there, in the newspapers, there was like, oh, Jordan's shooting the ball a lot. And he's forgetting about his teammates. And yes, Jordan had some great moments, but the team fell short. We talk about one of the greatest games that Jordan ever played in was in a loss against the Celtics, where he scores 63 points at the uh, at the Boston Garden, and the Bulls fall short. But it was a great moment for Michael Jordan. You know, all these coaches, from Paul Westhead to Kevin Lockery to Stan Albeck to Doug Collins, and then Phil Jackson takes over. I want to fast forward to 2019. Could you imagine... The amount of times that the Bulls lost in the first round in the championship years, right? 84-85 lost in the Eastern Conference first round. 85-86 lost in the first round. 86-87 lost in the first round. I'll stop right there. Could you imagine after all those years of trying to be a championship team, they lose in the first round. What do you think the reaction would be in 2019? Right? What do you think the reaction would be? All oh, these guys suck. Jordan is the problem. There's no way this team could be successful. They need to make deals. They got to make trades. They got to get better. Jordan's the problem. That would be the headline on Instagram. That would be the problem on the first take of the, of the, of the day. That's what would happen. And then the Bulls lost in the Eastern Conference semis. Then they lost in the Eastern Conference semis. Then they lost in the Eastern Conference semis. They can never get over the hump of the Detroit Pistons. Could you imagine what the headlines would be in 2019? If you had a team that continued to be in the playoffs with Michael Jordan, and Jordan was more than just a basketball player. That guy was a mogul even back then because of the amount of commercials he was in, because of the awareness of Michael Jordan, how you put the Bulls on the map and made the Bulls global. Could you imagine what it would be like in 2019? Imagine. It's kind of like how some of you talk about Russell Westbrook or how you, how you talk about James Harden. You say, oh, you know, these guys are good, but, you know, something's got to change with those ga- with their game. Something has to change. But the thing is, is that patience matters. We celebrate the Bulls championship of 1991, but keep in mind that there was a process to be able to get there. You had to claw, you had to scratch to get there. I'm so glad that I saw 80s basketball into 90s basketball and just... All I did was read columns from the newspaper. I had to worry about Instagram or Twitter or talk shows trying to tear down the athlete for trying to get there. I'm so glad that I saw the Bulls in the era that I did because could you imagine in 2019 what it would have been like for the Bulls to fall short, losing three times in the first round of the Eastern Conference, trying to find who they are, trying to find their identity, trying to get past the Pistons and the Bad Boys, and then finally win the championship. There's the difference. In 2019, you see Russell Westbrook, you see James Harden, you see a number of players, you see Giannis Antetokounmpo, and already the epitaph has been written. These guys, they won't get a championship. These guys, 
they fall short. They need, they need to trade this guy. This guy is a bum. This guy is no good. But there's always a process. The Jordan Bulls, that was a process. A lot of losing, okay, and a lot of getting to the playoffs and, and falling short, but they finally got over the mountain because they trusted one another. When some of these teams trust one another in the NBA, you will see multiple champions, like you see with the Golden State Warriors. Glad you're with me here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Time to take a look at the NBA draft. It's right around the corner, you know. We're seven days away from the NBA draft as we turn to Coach Lato. Friend of the program, Dave Lato, the Paul men's basketball coach is with me, Jonathan Hood, here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Coach, as always, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Jay Hood, my man, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Doing very well. Doing very well. Thank you. Thank now, you. you heard what I was saying, and you agree with me. I don't even have to ask you. You agree with me. Could, could you imagine what my point of what I was saying leading you in was this? Is that could you imagine... Uh, in the 80s and the 90s, how um, these teams in the NBA would have been covered in 2019, meaning with all of the talk shows and all of the social media and running down these players and not being patient enough to watch the process of trying to win a championship. How, how do you think the Bulls in the Jordan era would have been received before they won a championship in, if it was in 2019? Oh yeah, it, it was, so basically social media has transformed every form of life and then you know, what we talk about, you talk about every night with, with sports. It, it's unimaginable how, you know, as, as, as iconic as MJ is, was, and will always be, before he started winning the six championships and the transformation and having to overcome, as you talked about, you know, what we, we live in and go through it now with, with the playoffs where, you know, have a good game or have a good series. You're, you're considered the best team or the best player maybe that ever lived. Uh, don't and and you're not, you know. And we they went. Damian Lillard just went through that. Then he he hits the game winner to to send them to the next round, and then they go for four, and, and nobody wants to talk about him. So if you put MJ uh, in that conversation on a day by day basis, good lord, I, I'd, I'd hate to see, you know, how that. Uh, would go before he started winning those rings. I'm so glad I grew up in the era that I grew up in, Coach, so that way all I had to do is if it was maybe one controversial column in the paper, maybe one, but mostly the the writing was always fair. It was just about what happened in the game and how a team can overcome. Right. It wasn't this guy's over because he lost a series. <laughs> you know, so right. it's, it's just amazing how, how things have changed in that regard as far as perception. So here we are seven days away from the, uh, from the NBA draft. And I want to get your thoughts about some of the players that will be available. I have not talked to you about Zion Williamson. Uh, I, my thought on Zion is this, and I want to get your thoughts. Coach, I, I'm glad that he will be there at number one to New Orleans. I, there's no pressure for him in New Orleans. He's got it's a pressure on himself, but I'm glad it's not New York or L.A. He'll be in New Orleans. He'll be able to to work nicely with that uh, Pelicans team. We saw what he did in mm-hmm. college, and I think that New Orleans is a great spot for him to be able to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree from that standpoint. Uh, selfishly, I was kind of hoping that he did go to New York because that market is so important to the NBA, and if he did and they – they got a spark with one or two free agents, which could take that kind of pressure that you talked about off of him and just allow him to, to grow and make some mistakes and, and, and be who he is and, and continue to, to expand his game. And I thought it might work out in a, in a large market such as, such as New York. Uh, but 
the fact that he is in New Orleans, I think it kind of goes with what you're saying and that, you know, there's some, I can't say obscurity because of what we just talked about with social media, <laughs> but uh, there's not a lot of, you know, as much, put it that way, attention paid on his every single move in every game that they play. Uh, he'll get enough scrutiny as he already has coming from Duke, and you know, it's almost like he's uh, he's an entity all to himself, and his marketing will will go through the roof. Uh, but at the same point in time, as they grow with you know new GM and uh, new situation there in New Orleans, I'm sure Coach Gentry will kind of control it the right way and have him brought along in a way that would be comfortable for him. Coach, I, I can't piecemeal who Zion Williamson is. And that is a positive. I don't know what he is on the next level. And usually there's a comp. Can you come up with something that, that reminds you of like the 6'11 wingspan, 270 pounds, explosive player, gets up and down the floor, good hand-eye coordination, splits the traps, does all these things. Does he remind you of anybody in basketball's past? Well, what everybody talks about is is you know LeBron because of the explosiveness and the and the size and all that. And LeBron kind of grew into that a little bit more in the NBA in terms of you know two sixty two seventy. Uh, so, I, but LeBron, to me, his number one asset when he was coming out was his was his brain. You know, he fought like a point guard and 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 played all dimensions. And now you know as, as he got older, turned himself more into a scorer. Uh, but for my money, it's probably more like Larry Johnson. You know, a very explosive, athletic, hard-playing guy whose uh, uh, explosiveness, athleticism is, is ahead of his skill package. Larry Johnson developed a, a jump shot later on. They kind of play different positions, you know, quite obviously. But I would put him more in that category than, than anybody else. And I don't know if that's quite accurate. I'm just, you know, giving my, my thought on it. Yeah. Uh, John ja- ja- ja Morant, who is uh, destined to go to Memphis at number two, at six three, and I keep hearing uh, comparisons to De'Aaron Fox uh, in the league. What do you think of Morant on the next level? A big spotlight for him in the NCAA tournament, and now a chance to be one of the top three picks. Well, the thing that that strikes me about him, you know, uh, among his many assets, is that you know his his mentality. Uh, he knows he's really really good, uh, and he plays that way. It allows him to make more shots. His his passing you know anytime a guy uh, can make passes and if you've been around the game and you know and you see well three on one three on two or whatever the case may be and a guy makes a pass that you don't anticipate and it's right on time and on target and you say wow then then it's really really impressive and i think that's what morant shows me is that he's got an extremely high iq he's got tremendous vision uh and he can lull a defense to sleep at any point in time kind of like rajon rondo does and make a pass that most of the people in the building don't see coming. So that asset, plus you see his athleticism on display, uh, his jump shot is pretty good, and he'll get a whole lot better once he you know, gets in the gym and, and you know, professionalize himself on a day-to-day basis in terms of you know, how much work he'll put into it. And then his body will come around. He's still very young, so as he puts on strength and muscle over the years, I think your potential have you, know, you have the potential for a guy that uh, will be a perennial all star and a and a major force in the NBA. Dave Lado, the head coach for the DePaul Blue Demons, with Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN One Thousand and the ESPN app. I found it curious that R.J. Barrett did not work out for anyone else besides the Knicks. I guess he he felt that he's going to be at least the number three pick, and so he didn't want to work out for anyone else. I guess I guess if you're that confident and say I want to be in New York, at least somebody wants to play for New York, coach. <laughs> this is true. This is true. But, you know, I, I think all of that comes at the advice of, of their representatives. And uh, I'm sure if, if it was encouraged enough 
through through them that he should work out with somebody else, he probably would. Uh, but knowing that he's probably going to be slotted at, at number three, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And if there was going to be any workouts, it would probably be for you know number two or potentially number one, which most people know it's going to be you know both Zion and John Morant. So to go past three, I'm sure they thought is not going to be worthwhile for him because they and they know he's not going to last past that. So it makes sense from that standpoint, but. Most people do it, you know, for the courtesy of, of the team and, and understanding that anything can happen on or before draft night. So, um, you know, I, I think that's probably what happened and, and why he did it that way. Uh, with R.J. Barrett, I've been saying that I know that there's a lot of spotlight on Zion Williams, and rightfully so. I think that he's going to be a terrific pro. But R.J. Barrett could be that, that guy, coach, that's going to be around for 10, 12 years and just solid. Uh, as as a player, um, what what do you think of his play at six seven, the freshman guard? He's he's a natural, awkward scorer, and, and by that I mean you know he he plays angles. He's a lefty, which is a major advantage. Uh, you know he can get into spaces that a lot of people can't. Uh, you know you judge him on a skill package, and, and you know sometimes say he's got to improve his jump shot, which probably he does. But I'm sure again, like we talked about with John Rand, it'll come all over time. But his ability, and uh, in a very, as I said, awkward way to to score points, and especially in bunches, is a unique value that not a lot of guys have. And then you add to it, you know, he doesn't play as athletic. As he is, he's, he's a sneaky, really good athlete. You see that on display when you watch, you know, videos and those kind of things of him. That he has enough NBA athleticism, both vertically and uh, and quickness wise, to, to do and, and and accomplish some of the things that he's been able to do, you know, at this stage of his career. And, and again, if all reports are what kind of young man he is, he's a tremendous kid. He comes from good pedigree in his dad, and he's learned the game the right way. Then you know his his future uh, and, and, and the things that will happen to him from now look to be pretty good from my vantage point. One of the things that the Bulls need, Coach, is a, is a lead guard, is a point guard. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been saying that at seven, the Bulls will be able to find some quality. This is not going to be a problem. It's kind of like last year. I thought that Carter Jr. was the right spot. Some people call it safe. I just thought it was solid. I just think that that's a smart kid that was showing that showed leadership, by the way, in a difficult spot. He was talking to the media as if he's been there for 10 years, and you need that, especially when your team is going through some turmoil and some losses here and there. So I like that. But what, what do you think of, of Darius Garland, a kid from Vanderbilt? Is he someone uh, that could play well on the next level? You know, I only have, as most people do, a sample size of when he was in high school because mm-hmm. he got hurt at Vanderbilt. So the jury is out from my vantage point and anybody and everybody, including the NBA, as to you know what his value will be. Uh, if you take everything that he had done before the injury and, and you times it by his personality and, and you know, the people he's around, then it could spell out that you have the potential for a guy that can answer the, the questions that you just asked in terms of what the Bulls need from a, from a lead guard standpoint. Uh, you know, any time you play that position at that level, it's much more than talent. You know, you've got to have uh, a bravado about you. You've got to have a swagger about you. You've got to have leadership. And, and to have that as a young guy, particularly on a team that's in transition and it's, and it's not winning, it's very, very difficult to, to both comprehend and execute uh, because, you know, losing does a lot to a lot of people on a on a team and in a locker room. So you need a very very unique personality. And whether Darius is or is not, 
uh, is obviously remains to be seen. Uh, but he certainly has displayed the kind of raw talent and athletic ability to put himself in that position. Uh, Jared Culver put himself on a big stage in the Final Four uh, for Texas Tech. There's a six-six shooting guard there that uh, that I, I think that can really be a, a nice uh, piece for a team. I continue to see the comparisons to Nick Anderson as far as his play. What what do you from what you saw from Jared Culver? What stands out most? You know, he he's got great length for the position, and you know that allows him to get to places. You know, one dribble, two dribble from behind the three-point line to get into the paint, make decisions. Uh, his athleticism is a high level. I think again, like you know, a number of these guys, it's, it's where the consistency of his shot is going to come from, particularly early. Uh, and I say that because if you watch the NBA, and I know you do every day and every night, particularly in the playoffs, mm-hmm. if you can't consistently and confidently knock down a three-point shot, then your game is reduced. As great a player and an MVP as, as the Greek freak is, it cost him and it cost Milwaukee at the most critical time. And so that's, that's something that in today's basketball world on that level uh, you cannot do without. And so can a guy like that you know, come in and display the kind of talent that he has but then grow into the game, especially behind that three-point line? All right, Coach, tell people about uh, – tell the Blue Demons fans about what they can expect for this upcoming season. Can you give us a little something. Give us a little insight of what we can expect. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're both very optimistic and, and, and I, I sometimes temper because we're a team in transition. You know, what we've done, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, was led, you know, this season especially by by three seniors, uh, Eli Kane, uh, Femi Lujabi, and especially Max Struess. And so, losing those, we lose one a lot of points, uh, a lot of shot attempts, and and you know, as, as some of those games were dictated, kind of as we we're talking about from the three point line, it, it, it took, you know, Max's display, uh, three, four, five, seven three pointers to to create some wins. So we've got to replace that shooting. We probably won't be as dynamic from that standpoint, but. Uh, we didn't play, but seven or eight guys, sometimes six, we're much deeper. We're much more athletic. Uh, we're we're going to be a little bit, a lot better, hopefully, defensively, and be able to stretch the floor a little bit more and kind of change ourselves that way. And then, uh, as long as we share the ball, we will have many more options to to go to. And in terms of you know getting the ball in the right places and have multiple people scoring, so uh, I'm very excited about this group, particularly the young guys. We've got. Six guys, you know, counting the two that set out and the four that, that have uh, signed with us in, in, in the fall and the spring that will add. So that's almost a half of a team of new people. So we've got to integrate a lot of people, but I'm very, very excited about who we got. Romeo Weems is one of them. Can you say that name? Can I say the name? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 We're past the point where I got to keep him a secret. <laughs> okay. uh, you know, as we said, Mr. Basketball in the state of Michigan, and yeah. you know, acclaimed for the things that he's done. He's only lost four games on the high school level. He's a multiple state champion. Uh, he's a guy that checks the boxes and a lot of things that are important. He can score. You know, he doesn't score as, as naturally he does some other things, but he certainly can put the ball in the basket and has learned to play on the perimeter a whole lot more. He's a really good rebounder. Uh, he's a shot blocker. He's a defender. Uh, he plays well with the ball in his hands or without the ball in his hands. So I kind of look at him as a guy that will, will you know, fill up a lot of the, the stat sheet in terms of what he'll do for us, stealing the ball, rebound, all those kind of things. So excited. He's mature for his age. And I think he'll come in and have an understanding how the game is played right away and I anticipate he'll be on the court you know, as soon as our first game comes, playing a major role. It's a hell of a job, Coach. You got him before Juwan can get him. 
<laughs> in Michigan. <laughs> Lucky me. Lucky me. Yeah. And, and congratulations to, uh, to Juwan. And obviously he's a Chicago native. And uh, I, I've known him, you know, from afar mostly. But I have a decent relationship with him and wish him nothing but the best uh, to come into college and, you know, be humbled to play at his alma mater and have and then have an opportunity to come and coach. Uh, and, and he'll do a wonderful job. Uh, I'm rooting for him, you know, unless we play him, but I think he'll do great. You heard it here first. Coach Leto says one and one with uh, Michigan and DePaul coming up soon. I wouldn't say no to that. <laughs> okay, all right. All right. <laughs> I appreciate it, Coach, as always. I'm looking forward to the draft, and uh, let's talk as we get closer to the season. Okay, my man. I'll be around. Appreciate you, and uh, thanks for having me. All right, it is Dave Lato, the head coach for the DePaul Blue Demons, with us here on Under the Hood. Coming up next, hey, you guys talking about the White Sox? Yeah. The Chicago White Sox. How about that? You guys always talk about the Cubs, C-U-B-S, by the Cubs, over the White Sox. We are talking about the White Sox coming up next. What can we expect? Is this team a buyer, a seller? What? What is the way? You're listening to my mans and them. Just some men that's on the mic. And when we rock up on the mic, we rock the mic. Right, Jay Hood. On ESPN 1000 and the ESPN. The Chicago White Sox. How about that? Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Glad that you're with me. As we talk to you about the Chicago White Sox now, we turn to the Daily Herald's Scott Greger, longtime friend of the program. We'll get his thoughts. Sox are idle tonight. They're going to take out the Yankees tomorrow over a guaranteed rate. And Scott joins me here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Scott, as always, I appreciate your time. You know, the Sox have um, they've been all about business up to this point. What is your biggest takeaway from this season? Uh, you know, Jonathan, it's it's kind of what they've been aiming for the last, you know, when this rebuild started after the 2016 season is just getting, it's not, you know, I think they the first stage obviously was just compiling, you know, just getting all the young talent together. You know, they did it through trades. They did it through the the draft. They did it, you know, international signings. So they're kind of in that second phase right now where you're starting to see the, uh, you know, some of the talent come out at the major league level. You know, Yon Moncada, obviously, Lucas Giolito, you know, probably the best pitcher in the American League right now. Um, Eloy, you know, Eloy, everybody saw the home run he hit Tuesday night. I don't know if that ball has landed yet, but, um, you know, they still have you know, a lot of guys in the system, the minor league system, and you can kind of see now that, you know, by this time next year, this this should be a pretty good team. You've covered the Sox for a long time, so you've got a pulse of the fan base just like I do. You know that there's been impatience for a long time. I'm just trying to to find out whether or not you can identify the core of this Sox team. That's that, and do they have enough of a core to tell you that yes, they're going to be on the move pretty shortly here, based on what they have on the major league roster. Right. Yeah. You know. And just just speaking of the fan base, I mean, how many? What was it like four months ago? Three months ago? I I don't think you know. In the 25 years I've covered the White Sox, I don't think I've ever seen the fan base. Angrier when they didn't get Manny Machado. Uh, boy, it was like, you know, we're done. You know, I think up to that point, I think, you know, just about everybody was pretty patient. They understood what, you know, what a rebuild was, you know, what it takes and the, the time it takes. But, you know, they just wanted that instant, you know, Machado ad. And it's like we're in the World Series if we get Machado this season, you know. So that obviously didn't happen. But, you know, it's, 
you know, that would have been nice. I think the addition of Machado, obviously, but, um, you know, they have, they have the guys here. I, I you know, it, it, to answer your question, position, you know, on the position side of it, I think they're in real good shape. They, they even added like a first baseman, their first baseman of the future, maybe DH Andrew Vaughn, you know, in the last week's draft with the number three overall pick. They've, you know, they've got, you know, Mancata, Tim Anderson. Eloy, Luis Robert, who who I think is going to be here in September. He's he's just he's tearing it up at Double A after doing the same thing at High A. He's just too good to keep. He, I think he's just going to be too good to keep down. You know, even at at Triple A Charlotte this year. So you add him in there. Uh, Zach Collins is on the is on the way. Um, you know, so you've got a lot of young. Really, you know, Nick Madrigal is coming to set. You know, the second baseman of the future. So. I think the thing they're going to have to address, and they have the money to address it, is the rotation. Because um, you know, really after Giolito, how they're only two games under 500 with that rotation. You know, they took a hit with Carlos Rodon. You know, Rodon going down, but um, you know, it's just really it's like one reliable starter out of five. Reynaldo Lopez is another arm, you know, for the future, but he's been you know really erratic this season. So I think if they you know let the position guys keep developing. Keep kind of working them into the major league lineup, and they add some pitching in the offseason, starting pitching. Then they're going to be in real good shape. Scott Gregor from the Daily Herald with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app as we talk about the Chicago White Sox. Okay, let's play match game for a second, Scott. Um, Aloy's home run against the Nationals. I haven't seen a home run hit like that by a Sox since blank. Jim Tomey in the, uh, you know, that I think it was 2008, so it was 11 years ago. He hit it not quite as far as that, but, you know, I've seen some bombs to uh, right field. Joe Borchard, do you remember Joe Borchard? He <laughs> yes, hit one under the, uh, you know, he went under the concourse in right field. But I was at that that's game. right field, you know. <laughs> yeah, Eric, Eric Chavez hit one out there, too. But that, you know, it's, that's kind of deceiving because it's you know, going down the line. This was straight away center. I mean, it wasn't like it was a warm night last night either. Uh, that ball, you know, that ball on a ninety-degree day in August, that ball is probably five hundred feet. That's how, that's how, that, how hard that ball was tagged. Um, you know, I, and I think you're going to see some more of those with with Eloy. He, he's just such a big, strong kid. He's only twenty-two years old. He's going to get a lot stronger, and uh, that's probably bad news for American League pitching or National League pitching. I uh, they should mark that home run with some kind of paint or some kind of stick because. Home runs like that usually are in batting practice. Do you remember, I don't know if it was, the years start to run together. I don't know if it was under Manuel or Ginn, where the Sox went through such a problem offensively that they brought out aluminum bats. Do you remember that? They, like during batting practice, they did it just as a as a rib? And you saw home I runs? I, yeah. I think they did that with, um, with when, when Ozzy you know, was there. And, you know, if, if I'm remembering it right, Jonathan, um, I think what started that kind of was they had like a all-star, like 16 softball team playing there or something, taking batting practice, and they left some of their bats there, and yeah, guys were just <laughs> smoking balls, kind of like what you saw with uh, Eloy. Yeah, that that's the kind of shots that I like. I didn't expect that shot to go that far. That was a that was a John, and I remember the Borchard home run. I was in the ballpark for that as a fan. I saw that. And I said I couldn't believe how fast that went to the concourse. When you get it to that, yeah. you know, those distances, Scott, you know that's. That's that's pretty uh, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and you know Eloy's, you know he hit some tape measure shots. I think he hit a light pole like in the minor leagues last year at a home run derby or something. But he was even kind of like uh, you know 
you know, you know, shocked by how far that thing went, you know, after the game last night. And, uh, yeah, you know, but, you know, that he hit one just about as far as that Sunday at Kansas City. So it's not a fluke with this kid. I mean, if you really look at him, you know, he's got some, some serious power. He seems to get it, too. He seems very media friendly, does he not? He is. He is. He's kind of like, he's kind of shy. He was kind of shy at first, you know, at the start of the season because, I mean, everybody, every TV station was, you know, was around just to, you know, look the, you know, the, here's Eloy. You know, that kind of wears off as the season, uh, as the season goes on. But, you know, the thing about him is that it's, you gotta, you have to kind of remind yourself he's only 22 years old and, um, you know, he's from the Dominican Republic. So he, but, you know, to his credit, you know, he doesn't speak great English, but he, he speaks English rather than use a translator and he doesn't care if he, messes up like you know a lot of the uh, you know latino major leaguers speak english but they just you know they want to make sure that their message is getting across so they kind of hesitate they're kind of hesitant to do it eloy doesn't care so that just that says a lot about a 22 year old kid that i mean it's just like he didn't care when he was striking out all the time he never really saw him got you know get down over the first two months of the season um so he's he just has that knack for for you know just kind of living in the moment and doesn't really take anything too seriously and has fun. I mean, it's a, it's a game, and uh, yeah, it's pretty impressive for you know considering he's just a rookie. Scott Gregor from the Daily Herald covering the White Sox with Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN One Thousand and the ESPN app. Is it my eyes, Scott, or is is McCann a leader on this team? I, and I see the numbers, and I'm, I'm like, I'm just can't believe some of the numbers I'm seeing for a guy that was kind of a journeyman, you know, a decent catcher maybe below average catcher actually defensively to someone that seems to get it. It seems a light bulb has come on for McCann this season. Is this real? Well, you know, um, so far it is, you, you know, when, when they signed him, you know, they did, the White Sox weren't really that active in the off season. I mean, they got Alex Colome, their closer, Kelvin Herrera, um, John Jay, you know, what they got, you know, John Jay and Yonder Alonzo, you know, everybody knows, you know, what, the reasoning behind that, you know, with the Manny Machado connection. So there was like kind of some interest in those signings, trade additions. But, you know, with, with James McCann, I remember, I think that was just a couple paragraph story the next day. It's like, you know, here's your backup catcher for a year until Zach Collins and Sebi Zavala, you know, are ready. And, you know, I think with, with James McCann, um, you know, the way he's playing now, it's like, was this guy injured for the last couple of years and now he's finally healthy? That's like kind of like the first thing you think about when you watch what he's doing but i just think he had a really just one of those really bad years last year with detroit um you know he was non-tendered and that that was like a wake-up call for him um you know, especially on the offensive end he's been a pretty solid defensive catcher you know his, those five years he was with uh, the tigers that's continued but i mean he's really kind of shortened his swing up a little bit and um yeah he's an older guy on a very young team and you know, you know, a lot of times you're going to find catchers are really good leaders. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're running the game basically. And, uh, you know, he's got a really good knack for that. And especially with Lucas Giolito, I mean, they've, they've worked really well together. And he, you know, Lucas gives him a lot of credit for his turnaround this season. I don't know, Scott. It, it's, it's an interesting, um, conversation piece about catchers and leadership. 
I mean, we can go back to, to you know, when the Sox were able to get Carlton Fisk from the Red Sox and the type of leadership right. he brought to that 83 team. But there is something to it, right? That I mean, there's a lot of position guys, there's managers, there's coaches, but there's something about that catcher being able to not only lead a pitching staff, but be able to be one of the leaders of the team. That, that resonates with some teams, doesn't it? Oh, sure it does, Jonathan. You know, and it's like if you want to use like kind of a re- reverse example with the White Sox, you know, A.J. Pruszynski was, was a leader. Not so much that he was like a guy that's going to put his arm around you like James McCann does with everybody, but, you know, Pruszynski was just like, you know, we're, we're, all, we're, we're here to win, and he was just, a, a, you know, this fierce competitor, one of the fiercest competitors I've ever seen. And that, you know... That brings that. That's that's just a different kind of a leadership. He led more by you know you hear a lot of like quiet leaders. Like Paul Konerka was a quiet leader. James McCann's pretty quiet. I mean, he's not really outgoing. AJ was always you know yapping, and you know the, you know Ozzie Ozzie Gian was always yapping, kind of like that. You know, and you know another fierce kind of competitor. So I've, you know I've, I've just seen through the years different kind of leaders, and um, you know and yeah, they, like you said, they, a lot of them are catchers just because they're kind of you know in the middle of everything there and. They're an important piece, and and uh, you know McCain's been a you know real good addition. That he's been such a good addition that you know his contract is up at the end of the year. I think he's arbitration eligible for one more year, and I definitely think he's back with this team. Uh, from from your press box seat, you can see what's happening to the baseball, right? I mean, there's we, we've never had as yeah. many home runs in the month of May. I, I, I read a stat that this is the most three run homers that we've ever seen in the history of the game. Which is amazing. We're not even to the All Star break yet, but I, I saw that yeah. there's. I mean, so there's something going on with the baseball. Is is there something that is needed? Why does baseball have to juice the baseballs, or just something with the ball that makes it go like this? Well, you know, my, you know, it's like I think as the uh, as this season progresses, that's going to become. You know, it's, it's still kind of a small sample size, but it's getting to the point now where we're a third of the way through. And those, I mean, look what the Minnesota Twins are doing. That's just like insane. You know, they're, they've been well over 100 home runs for a while now as a team. Um, you know, um, I think maybe what's, what's going on is last year, I believe, it was, you know, the most strikeouts in a season for Major League Baseball, which broke the record from 2017. So there's been a lot of strikeouts. You know, there, you know, ball's not in play. You hear people, you know, these games are, are boring, you know, the, the younger generation doesn't want to, you know, isn't watching because the game's boring. So, you know what, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it was just like, you know, be, before the season started or, at, you know, the last season sometime, it's like, let's, let's make these balls a little, you know, harder and get some more action going. People love home runs because, uh, yeah, it's definitely, there's definitely something going on with that baseball. Hey, yo, Jay Hood, talk that barbershop talk, dude. We thank you for listening, being part of the program here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Thanks to you for listening. Our thanks to Rob Perez, Jesse Rogers, Dave Leto, Scott Greger, and Cap. David Kaplan was with us. The show produced by Felix Nair on the other side of the glass. We've got NBA Finals Game 6 tomorrow. And then whole show for you Friday night starting at 7 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. Don't forget the Under the Hood podcast. Wherever you download your podcast, look for Under the Hood with John the Hood. We've got some great stuff there for you. So for Aaron and Felix, it's Jonathan. Thanks for listening. Talk to you Friday at 7 right here on ESPN 1000. Gotta go. Hey, yo, Jay Hood. You know nobody covers the sports like you do, man. Let's go. Go Blues.